Hello and welcome to What in the Fuck Did I Just Listen To? Oh, wait, sorry. Uh, hello and welcome to Media for Mass Consumption. I'm Matthew Horn, joined today by Kyle Deeds, Grant Sagan, and Rory Hawkins for the third episode in a row. Rory, are you here to stay, or is this just because you're not able to leave your house due to the, you know, the pandemic, don't have anything better to do? Oh, you know, uh, probably a bit of both, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah. You're welcome anytime, obviously few more episodes and I might have to update the podcast details. We're over the 10 episode hump. And as this is episode 11, I would highly recommend checking our previous episodes out if you're new to this podcast. Also, and I know every podcast says this, but you're, you're probably tired of hearing it. But if you enjoy what you hear, please be sure to subscribe and leave a review on your platform of choice if it allows. I know like Spotify doesn't have reviews or ratings, which is kind of strange. So this podcast, we take turns reviewing a broad selection of albums or movies. Uh, the rules are simple. It has to be a well-known band or movie. It has to have been a successful album or movie upon release. And most importantly, it has to be something that at least one of us is absolutely not looking forward to listening to or watching. So sit back, take the rose-tinted glasses of nostalgia off, and get ready to discuss Chumbawamba's breakthrough album, Tub Thumper. So Chumbawamba gets the honor of being our first one-hit wonder, uh, at least in the U.S., because you'll see uh, in a little while, or you'll hear in a little while, uh, they actually had a very rich history in the U.K. prior to their success here. And I'm pretty sure most people our age or older, so 30s plus, will at least remember that one hit, whether they hated it or loved it. I think... What I said in the intro to this episode is a perfect way to describe my feelings throughout most of this album, and I bet money that each of you were also constantly asking yourselves, what in the fuck am I listening to as this album rambled on? I actually recommended this album because I remember having it as a child, and this band and Sister Hazel were actually the first two bands I saw in concert. It was a free concert in Centennial Olympic Park in Atlanta. I was around seven or eight at the time, so long before I developed critical thinking skills, probably. I wish I could tell you what I was thinking as I listened to this album back then. If I had to guess, I probably didn't make it through half of these songs every time I put the CD in. If I had to describe this grouping of songs with one word, it would be eclectic. On the plus side, the songs weren't in the background of a god-awful movie attempting to give depth to a ragtag group of criminal morons. What about you guys? How did you feel while listening to this album on repeat? Do any of you have personal history with Tub Thumper? I do, personally, because the first album, or the first track on the album, Tub Thumping, was a song that my middle school band director thought would be appropriate for us to play. Not really for Who anything. Who was charged just... at your school? Uh, yeah, I know. Well, that was the funny part. So she... Uba stank, Tub Thumping, what yeah. the fuck? <laughs> well, this is in middle school before the... Uh, literary comparisons to Hoobastank, but <laughs> it, it had a trumpet part in it, so I think that's why it appealed to her, which I thought was awesome because I was first chair trumpet, so I got to play the solo at the end. But in, in the process <laughs> of her curating that song, she ended up discovering a little bit more of the lyrics and was like, are they saying pissing the night away? <laughs> and we were all like, yeah. <laughs> and so that we didn't sing along to, but I don't remember if we ever played it live for anything, but we definitely played it in the band room. Interesting. 
on a similar note, Matt, the first concert I ever went to was also Sister Hazel. That's Ugh. what a coincidence. Was it also a free concert? Yeah, actually, it was. It was at an amphitheater um, in Tuscaloosa. Has anyone ever had to pay to go to a Sister Hazel concert? <laughs> yeah, I did. I did later in college. I paid a lot of money to go to one, and then they showed up and played like three songs and left. Wow. Well, you got what you deserved. <laughs> Rory? This was, I think, the first CD I ever got. For like Christmas, I remember getting like a little boombox with a cassette player and a CD player. And uh, this was one of the first CDs. And it was just because of the tub thumping song. And I remember thinking like, oh, so edgy because you could kind of get away with saying piss, you know, yeah. um, when you sang <laughs> to it. I remember vaguely some of the other songs, but most of them not. I remember some of the words that I learned from it. Not that they're like inappropriate words, but like. A lot of these songs have like a weird political edge that like listening back to it, I'm like, I didn't really understand what they were talking about. Yeah, that that's the thing about this album is it's kind of a puzzle uh, as you're listening to it. But then when you actually see what the group is about, and obviously we'll cover their history here soon, it all starts to kind of click together. And it kind of gives the album a whole new feel once you understand what they're referring to and what they're so uh, concerned about pretty much every moment in the album. Kyle? Obviously, I knew Tub Thumping. I always thought it was annoying. So I had no desire to ever have the album, and luckily no one ever bought it for me. Listening to the album, though, I did recognize at least two other songs. One from a movie that we can discuss when we get there. Yeah, I think I know what movie, yeah. I'm pretty sure you do. And the one that I, I mean, I might be thinking of another song, but I don't know. I was listening to it, and uh, I recognized it at least. So maybe I have heard this album somehow at some point, but I don't remember what did you guys feel listening to this though was it enjoyable overall was it a a nice break from suicide squad at least i will say no no. (laughs) i enjoyed the first song for nostalgia reasons i remember enjoying it growing up it's not one i like listened to throughout the years but i certainly enjoyed it then and i didn't hate going back to it and i thought well this will be fun just to see what the rest of this album looks like because apart from the single that made the radio i never listened to this album Everybody I knew owned it, but I don't think I ever actually listened to it myself. But uh, it was such a schizophrenic mess (laughs) in terms of the style of the music. It was like 13 songs from different bands that they put on this album. Yeah, it's kind of surprising how different every single song is from each other. Yeah, and I don't want to like talk about this too much, but also being in the context of like staying at home and like all the anxiety going on. And the, like, schizophrenic nature of this album. It just, I couldn't really ever listen to it all the way through. I just had much less patience for this album. I could not really find many enjoyable moments. You missed the uh, be true to your heart of it all. Yeah. I think uh, this is an album that's kind of lost with the times a little bit. Just because it's, you know, very political, as you hinted at. So, I mean, I'm sure a lot of the stuff that they were singing about then are still relevant, especially in England. I don't know, since we have never lived in England. I don't know how we could relate now. And then thinking about back in the 90s when this was released, more towards teenagers or kids or whoever they were trying to sell this to. I don't know if that would have been the right audience for them trying to make a statement. Interesting. I thought I was going to dislike this a lot more than I did, especially once I read some of the history. I really actually started liking this album, and it was kind of a nice break from, you know, 98 Degrees and Suicide Squad. Obviously, you're welcome to feel however you want to feel about any album at all times, but 
if if you're saying that this was geared towards children, I'm going to stop you right there and say that uh, absolutely not. There is a lot going on with this album. I mean, I guess I'm just thinking of at least Tub Thumper and, you know, we were young children and I don't know. Oh, yeah, we definitely popular. picked it up. I'm not saying like it was necessarily geared to us intentionally. Yeah. Our age group are the ones who know them. Yeah. There's at least one theory that uh, is very interesting regarding Tub Thumper. As always, we'll start with a little information about the band. Unlike some other music episodes that we do, while researching this band, I realized that their history was far too rich. There are far too many members to really cover the individuals past the actual band history. I usually like to at least pick one or two of the members and just go off on their history. But with this one, there are like eight members, I think. They all are kind of batshit. There's at least one or two that are even more batshit than the others. But the whole history of the band is is what's really important with this. So we'll go ahead and dive right into the band history. Unless any of you guys have anything uh, else you want to add before we start. I'm just realizing, kind of looking along, I have their Wikipedia pulled up. It's Chumbawamba? That's actually the first thing I have written down. Because I've been calling him Wamba the whole time. Like, I know. This I know. is like a Mandela effect moment right now. <laughs> this isn't very important, but yeah, I had a revelation while researching the band that it's spelled Chumbawamba. C-H-U-M-B-A-W-A-M-B-A. Um, and I've been spelling it with two U's and two A's of the last 20, 25 years. So I was definitely there with you on that. <laughs> <laughs> it, it kind of blew my mind when I read it. Yeah, it definitely does feel like a Mandela effect. Chumbawamba was <laughs> formed in a flat in Burnley, uh, which is a town in Lancashire, England, in 1982. Initially, it was made up of four members from a band called Chimp Eats Banana, like all four of them were from that band, before it was joined by Lou Watts, uh, making the members at the time of formation, Alan Wally, nicknamed Boff, you're going to notice that a lot of these have nicknames, Nibel Hunter, who called himself Dan Burton No Bacon, Midge and Tommy, which I, I never found last names for those two, and Lou Watts. They took inspiration from bands like The Fall, Wire, and Adam and the Ants, and shared the support of Anarchy with bands like Crass. I've only heard of one of those bands, so the key takeaway for any listeners is the heavily embraced Anarchy as a form of government that they had in common with uh, Crass. Kyle, I know you know a little bit more about punk bands. Do you know any of those other than Adam and the Ants, maybe? No. Uh, What was the last band? (laughs) crass i feel like i've probably heard of them but i'm i'm not gonna say uh yes for sure the fall on the wire like smart guy punk i have yeah i've never heard any of them other than adam and the ants and and i wish i hadn't heard that i know my wife what do you mean come on i know i know it's good (laughs) post-punk it was of an era (laughs) yeah so i've got to take a second here to state the obvious uh as Kyle mentioned earlier, we are not from England, and we were born in the late 80s, so forgive us if some of this goes right over our heads, uh, specifically the support of Anarchy, the serious support of Anarchy, uh, and the next thing I talk about. So they released an album under the name Skin Disease in the genre of Oi. I don't know if you guys have heard of this, but Oi is apparently a meshing of punks and skinheads, uh, white nationalists, and other young, middle-class, angry uh, kids. But that doesn't mean they sympathize with skinheads. The album was satirical of the genre, but it was so good at mimicking it that they actually ended up being included in at least one compilation of Oi! music. 
the song that got them on the compilation just happened to include them shouting, I'm thick, 64 times. So they got them to take them serious as an oi band, and they submitted a song where they just repeated, I'm thick, uh, 64 times. Right away, we realized that they're kind of uh, rebels, they're kind of pranksters a little bit. By the end of 82, they added Dunstan Bruce, nicknamed Dunst, and Alice Nutter to the lineup and started living in an abandoned building in Leeds. Harry Hamer, nicknamed Daz, and Mavis Dillon, nicknamed Mave, joined them there as well. And I know you're probably feeling kind of like you're listening to a Game of Thrones audiobook uh, trying to juggle all these names and nicknames and characters. Just bear with me. They actually don't really matter much. The only ones you really need to know of are No Bacon and Lou. <clears throat> and Lou is a woman, uh, just to be clear. This is the shittiest cult. <laughs> uh, they made a name for themselves by playing in abandoned buildings, supporting causes like anti-war and animal rights. So I have a question for you guys. If you believe in anarchy, how can you support an anti-war or government-led effort to force the people to give animal rights? Uh, by exercising a fundamental misunderstanding of both concepts. <laughs> Anarcho-punk ideals are nowhere near actual anarchy. <laughs> so, I, I, I was going to take it back to SLC punk, you know, when he just realizes it's all not made up, but just bullshit. This is a good point to point out that while early punk was apparently only uning, using anarchistic imagery uh, in a humorous manner, the bands that inspired Chumbawamba and Chumbawamba themselves were some of the first anarcho-punks that actually showed an interest in anarchy as an ideology past the aesthetic of anarchism. Uh, this also isn't the same type of punk you see portrayed in SLC Punk, but it is very close to that, even though it was a portrayal of the American movement. But this was around the same time SLC Punk took place as well. Many anarcho-punks in England during the late 70s through the 80s were actually pacifists, despite their intense hatred of hippies and skinheads. This might also be where the idea of straight edge started becoming prominent in the punk world, as many anarcho-punks considered alcohol and drugs a form of self-oppression. It definitely reminds you of SLC punk when they're talking about classes and skinheads and, and hippies and punks hate this group, this group hates punks, so on and so forth. Everyone hates skinheads. Yeah, <laughs> but but they were actually, you know, largely straight edge and uh, largely pacifist as well. Chumbawamba started to be on the outs with their own community by doing such trivial things as releasing vinyls instead of cassettes. Because as Kyle and I discussed in the Good Charlotte episode, punk is actually surprisingly in favor of conformity, just their own brand of conformity. So don't put out <laughs> vinyls, only put out cassettes or you're a fucking sellout, basically, is, is the mentality during this period of, of punk in the UK. In the height of Thatcherism, the band found themselves playing at picket lines and involving themselves with causes like the British Miners' Strike. Thatcherism, at the risk of oversimplification, uh, was basically the introduction of libertarian conservatism in England. Think distrust of big government and freedom of the individual, including corporations, because don't you know, businesses are people too, obviously. At the time, this served to push England away from more socialistic tendencies and more into the modern ideals, or at least the ideals that existed four years ago. <laughs> I wish we had time to cover the British minor strike because it actually was pretty interesting when I was reading up on it. I do recommend looking that up if you're even halfway interested. 
we'll be covering that again when we get to the song Tub Thumping, because it kind of goes into it as well. Actually, the whole album kind of lends itself to the British minor strikes. Chumbawamba finally released their first LP, uh, much to the chagrin of the punk scene that supported them for years in 1986. The album was titled Pictures of Starving Children Sell Records, which was an in-your-face critique of Live Aid, which was a concert held to raise money for starving children in Ethiopia, organized by Bob Gelduff, who was an Irish singer of a band called Boomtown Rats, which I've, I've never heard of. It took aim at artists like Freddie Mercury, Paul McCartney, David Bowie, and Mick Jagger for them holding publicized charity events, allegedly just so they could get more publicity in the song um, How to Get Your Band on Television. On a live release, they added Axl Rose, Michael Jackson, and Johnny Rotten to this list as well. It also featured a song called Coca Col- uh, Coca Colonization, which I didn't actually listen to this song, but I can only guess what that's about. Coca Colonization was the original name for Coca Cola, but they decided it was too long. <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> of course, it's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> After reading about that album, I just felt like we're in such strange territory with this band. I mean, Making an album solely to bash on a charity event for starving Ethiopian children. I mean, I get their point. I can understand them thinking that people are doing it just for the publicity. Coming out and actually making a full album about that just seems insane to me. It seems like something insane people would do. Your first album at that, which was four years after they formed, so 86 uh, from 82, Their second album actually came out pretty quickly after that, in 87, and was titled Never Mind the Ballots, Here's to the Rest of Your Lives, and was a takedown of lying politicians, and was released right around the time of the general election that year, questioning the entire British democratic system. They were just shoving themselves right into the the controversial scene from pretty much day one. Funny enough, Chumbawamba was against popularity and fame in their early years, so that's about all we're going to get for the late 80s with the band. And I say funny enough because obviously Tub Thumping was a a huge song, and obviously we're covering them, despite them being against fame and, and money and popularity. So into the 90s, the band started leaning into other genres and influences such as the rave culture at that time, which was known for clashing with authority figures and holding warehouse parties without permission. Harkening back to their early days as squatters, that's a lot different uh, culture than it is today. <laughs> now when I think rave culture, obviously, I think of people spinning lights on their on their hands and, and knees and shit, you know, wearing crazy clothes and, and big froofy hats. But They, they want to try to have that attitude that they did back in the 90s, but it, it's not there. It's commercialized. <laughs> it's neutered. Yes. I say that as someone who may or may not have gone to yes, some of those things. I, I'm aware of your dark days, Richard. You are, but not Did you dress days. up? Fuck no. <laughs> what? You just wore what? What would you wear to a rave? Fucking shorts and a t-shirt. Okay. <laughs> Did you have glow sticks? No. No, I never had glow sticks. Yeah. Uh, did you never held a glow stick at a rave? Uh, I mean, I may have held one. I don't that was well, no glow see? stick, man. He's know. already he's already going back on what he just said. This was also the walls during down. my uh, very heavily drinking time. Where'd you get the glow stick time. from, son? <laughs> yeah. It's a rave. Everyone's got them. 
Uh, they also started taking advantage of sampling to such a degree that one of their albums actually had to be completely re-recorded before release due to copyright infringement. You can kind of get that with this album, too. In another bizarre turn of picking on individuals for apparently no reason, after a popular actor in British soaps, Jason Donovan, took a magazine to court for claiming that he was gay, Chumbawamba decided to print uh, Jason Donovan queer as fuck on t-shirts and give, give them away for free with, with their singles. Even more bizarre, after signing uh, with One Little Indian Record shortly after, they released an album called Anarchy that addressed issues such as homophobia. So in 97, they were offered a contract with EMI Records, a deal that they would agree to despite having added a song to a compilation years earlier titled Fuck EMI. Just uh, to make sure everyone knows that EMI was a, a major label. It was a pretty big record label at the time i don't think it's basically no like our, our universal yeah to go along with their history it's it was a big deal that they signed to them um oh yeah and it kind of reminds you again of steve-o and slc punk and his journey from uh, punk to poser yes and this was within a few years that they went from saying fuck emi to hey we're part of the emi family it must be said that some consider the goal of the band to have catapulted themselves into the limelight so that they can push their message further. This theory culminated in the 1998 Brit Awards when they performed Tub Thumping. They incorporated the line, New Labor sold out the Dockers, just like they'll sell out the rest of us. They had earlier been incorporating that line too in live concerts, but this was right in the public limelight while they were performing this major song that put them in the spotlight, basically. Uh, Labor at the time had just taken the reins after a long stint of conservative rule. So the night culminated with No Bacon rushing Prime Minister John Prescott at his table and dumping a bucket of ice water on his head. There's actually a picture of Prescott covered in water, and I definitely recommend looking that up. The band also publicly refused a $1.5 million offer from Nike, only to eventually accept a $70,000 deal from General Motors. They then turned around and donated that money to activist groups campaigning against General Motors. So they took the money from General Motors and then gave it to an anti-General Motors group so they could campaign against them. I don't think you get more punk than doing shit like that. That's just chaos. The band lasted 30 years total, finally breaking up in 2012. And after all of that, it's finally time to start getting into the album details. Alright, so Tub Thumper. At the risk of going way, 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 way too long, we finally get to 97 when Tub Thumping was released, and due to the dangerously catchy nature of the song, and helped with controversies such as Alice Nutter saying in an interview that they like it when cops get killed, and outrage in Britain from that statement, they blew up. Nutter would later go on the U.S. show Politically Incorrect and urge listeners to steal their album from large CD chains like Virgin and HMV if they don't have any money. Virgin removed their album from its shelves and started selling them behind the counters because of this. So it's kind of cool. They were, was it like System of a Down that, tri- that put out an album like still this 15 album. years ago? They, they, yeah, still they call this it, album. Yeah. And this was long before then. It's kind of like still this album, but still it from a big record company, not a mom and pop record shop. 
Tub Thumper was actually the group's eighth album. And yes, I skipped most of their albums because we had a two-hour episode two weeks ago, and we don't need a three-hour one this week. It was released on September 1st, 1997 in the UK under EMI, as we mentioned earlier, and in the States under Universal and Republic Records. Three singles were produced from this album, Tub Thumping, Amnesia, and Drip, Drip, Drip. So that might explain why some of you said that you recalled more of these songs than Tub Thumping. The album was a much more subtle approach of the same concerns that had been with the band from the early days. Mostly a commentary on social classes and the warfare that arises from the disparity that exists. Now, what is tub thumping, you might ask? It is a British slang for political campaigning. Specifically, it is protesting in a loud and dramatic fashion. So, it's important to note that, like Hanson, there's a bit more depth to this album than you can hear, as it is heavily influenced by pop music and the band's history, as well as barroom chanting at times, obviously, in the uh, title track. Tub Thumper was pretty popular with the critics, although at least one compared them to Spice Girls, which makes me feel like they totally missed the point of Chumbawamba. The album hit number three on the Billboard 200, selling 3.2 million copies in the States alone. It also hit number two in Canada and number 19 in the UK, surprisingly. I was very shocked to see that it performed better in the US than it did in the UK. I can't believe I'm finally saying this, but I think we can start diving into the tracks. Do any of you want to say anything about the album overall before we start diving in track by track? Because of the way this album flows, it feels like it's hard to summarize. So it, I'll get more out of talking about one song as we go and just picking that one apart. Yeah. Personally. The only way to describe this album would be like stream of consciousness that wouldn't make any sense to anyone. <sighs> because it's just so all over the place. There's no way to define it as an overall experience, I don't think. It all makes sense. It all comes together. At least you're lyrically. you're sold on this. You are part of At this cult. Lyrically. You're part of this Britain shittiest cult. You're a member. <laughs> you're sold in. But I am not. Look, the the music is all super different, and yeah, it doesn't blend well. But if you take a look at the lyrics. It all makes sense. You're starting to sound like Grant talking about Dave Matthews. <laughs> as long as you don't listen to the lyrics and you just listen to the music. <laughs> yeah, a reverse Grant. Yeah. Yeah, maybe so. <laughs> all right. So number one, Tub Thumping. We start the most well-known song of the group, the one that launched them into stardom across the world with a quote from a 1996 movie titled Brassed Off which, not coincidentally, is about a brass band made up of workers from a coal mine in southern Yorkshire as the British Coal Board decides to shut down their pit, obviously based on the UK miner strike mentioned earlier. You see what I'm saying here? This is a not sign that even this is a sign that even in a song seemingly created in a pop song laboratory, Wamba isn't willing to leave behind their past views and concerns. The man delivering the line is named Danny, uh, oh Danny boy, played by the late Pete Pozelswaith. How do you say his name? Pete Pozelswaith. The guy from fucking James and the Giant Peach. <laughs> we don't know who you're talking about. The guy from James and the Giant Peach that gives James the bugs. Those were clay people. No, they weren't. <laughs> You need to rewatch James and the Giant Clay Peach. People. <laughs> those, those was were it not a claymation movie? No, no. Half of it was. When James goes into the peach, it turns into claymation. But no, 
You need to go back and rewatch. This is the man who used to have this soundtrack playing every single night as he went to sleep, who can now no longer recall that they were real actors in James and the Giant Peach. Yeah. Maybe he's I mean, in the, the soundtrack's not the movie. I didn't watch the movie every night. I listened to it. <laughs> you should have watched it more, apparently. Yes, so. I rewatched it not too long ago with my son. Now, you'd have to be forgiven to think that this is just a song about tenacity sung by a group of drunk men at a bar. But taking into account the definition of tub thumping and the opening quote and the band's ideals, the lines, I get knocked down, but I get up again, you're never going to keep me down, take on new meanings as a political chant to never stop, never stopping, essentially. Lou sings, Oh, Danny boy, Danny boy, Danny boy, and Don't cry for me next door neighbor, which doesn't seem to mean anything in particular besides Danny boy either, referring to the movie quoted, or Danny boy, the Irish folk song. So I'll give you that. There is some nonsense in the album. It appears overall tub thumping just a chant for down and out miners or other steamrolled groups that might have been wasting their days away drinking and Dreaming of better times to not give up. Other than that, I don't have much else to say about this particular song. It's super catchy, like dangerously catchy, and you'll be lucky if you don't have it stuck in your head just from us discussing it. But yeah, the second it starts, you just remember this song. And there's not a lot about it, honestly. There's, what, like maybe 20 unique words about it. Uh, I don't know. It's still a catchy song to this day. I never realized how repetitive the song is until I started oh, yeah. doing this. I mean, obviously it's it's catchy. It's a it's a good party song, I guess, and obviously a, a good single, which kind of goes against what I would think they would want. Again, makes no sense why they would make a song like this if they were trying to be because they were going to vault themselves to yeah, stardom to get the, the word of the doctors oh, out. There. Yes, I know it's. While they're signing a major record label. This was what got them to the point where they could dump a bucket of ice water on the fucking prime minister, man. (laughs) You got to tear the system down from the inside, guys. They're heroes. All right. Listen, they're they're heroes. Look, think about it. They made this song, so they obviously know how to make pop songs. Why would they have never made a song like this again? I think it was on purpose. I think they made this. They made their point. Have you you listened to all their songs after this album? No. So maybe they did make another song like this. Their albums are weird. They're all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they're they fucking, are. They're like different sounds every single time. It's, <laughs> it's a little. Well, a band that's first album is a takedown of a fucking charity concert uh, uh, would have to be all over the place, I would imagine. The repetitiveness led me to look up uh, the live version, and I think you watched it too, Matt. I can't imagine you guys having to see this band live after watching like this song just perform live because it's just them literally saying the same thing over and over and over and over again. I'm glad you brought that up, Rory, because this also lends itself to the theory because they were playing on Jay Leno and they were wearing shirts that said stuff like album or a label whore and one hit wonder in giant letters for the whole world to see. So they were specifically there to make fun of themselves and to show that they weren't really taking it seriously, this particular song or their career in the limelight. I don't know. I think there's a lot of, a lot of credit to, to give them. I think they might have planned a, a very elaborate prank on the whole world. Well, at least they're self-aware. Yeah. If they were yeah. real punks, they would have punked Jay Leno in his big old chin. <laughs> 
That would have made that so much better. Yeah, if they'd have just pantsed him and then flicked off the audience and walked back off the stage, that would have been amazing. Yeah. All right. Uh, it's, it's a pretty simple song. So I'm happy to move on if you guys are. I just want the takeaway to be that this was definitely a calculated move by, by Chamba Wamba. I'll take your word for it. So following in that vein, the next song on the album is Amnesia. Lyrically, it's intended to explore the dishonesty of politicians. They certainly were interested in the idea of what politicians say to get elected does not match what they say or what they do once they're elected. In the U.S., it was somewhat successful, although not so much as tub thumping. It did fail to enter the Billboard Hot 100, but it did peak a couple times on the mainstream top 40. I liked that one, actually. I thought I was going to really get into this album because Tub Thumping was one I knew that was good. And then I listened to uh, Amnesia and it starts off pretty good. The lyrics are interesting. It does fall in line with kind of what Matt is talking about in the overall theme, shining a light on the system itself. There's a couple of interesting lyrics. Same old joke and it's not funny. Burns are red, bruises blue, which I would think in this world today probably very much fits the political landscape. Out with the old, cheated by the new. Definitely feels very salient today. Yep. Overall, the song is a good listen, and I thought the lyrics were pretty interesting. So I was starting to become pretty optimistic about this album as we got going. Yeah, I, I don't hate this song. I really like the lyric, have you ever reached for the glued down penny? It goes into what you're saying, where you know, you're told by a politician one thing, and then uh, when you go to, to actually hold them to it, you can never get it off the ground. But it it was the first real shock I had where it's like, holy shit, this is almost a completely different band. <laughs> this this does not sound anything like tub thumping. It also had kind of a kind of a, a cheeky line where she says, Do you suffer from long term memory loss? I don't remember, which kinda adds a strange element of humor to the song. But I guess the song is about being lied to so much that you eventually don't know what the truth is, uh, referring to politics in this case, as you mentioned. In that regard, I guess do you suffer from long-term memory loss? I don't remember. Kind of makes sense, and it's it might not have been uh, meant to be funny or or humorous. I think it speaks very well to people voting for the same politician over and over again, even though yeah. those politicians are not acting in their interest sometimes ever, but very rarely. Yeah, I I, I liked it too. It was it was an all right song. It wasn't the best, but when I first heard it, I thought it it was a, it was a pretty good song. It was okay. It gave me hopes that the album would be good. It reminded me of a song that should have been in a late 90s uh, party movie at times. Um, something like American Pie or, or Can't Hardly Wait or something like that. Yeah, I guess musically, yes. <laughs> I, d I did like that uh, you were talking about uh, her, her talking about the brain removal. Would you say something about it trying to be funny? No, I think he's talking about after the song kind of yes. plays, there's some track at the end, and oh, it's talking yeah, about different ways to remove a brain. Weird. Yeah, like where that. she's talking about like buzz sawing the head open, yes. like ripping yeah. the brain out through the nose or some shit. Yeah. No. Well, when, when I heard that, the I was... and scoop the brains out. Yeah, it's kind of kind of makes you think of uh, lobotomies, and they have kind of the same effect as amnesia ish. I mean, you know, lobotomies, I guess just make you docile or docile, docile. Holy shit. I just did the fucking Ben Kingsley species thing of calling it <laughs> docile. It sounded like jock jams at the start, which I guess something <laughs> was probably on jock jams too. Yeah. I was probably on one of them. With no, that's what I call jock, jock jams. jams. Volume five. 
I'm just, it's just another song that uses, ah, I, the trumpets, I think, are what really drive me the craziest about this band. Oh, you just hurt Grant's feelings. <laughs> I know, I know. And <laughs> I'm sure that's part of what gave him hope at the no, start just of this a, album. No, just imagine a middle school trumpet player playing this part, these parts. Yeah. It wasn't great. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like they have to be, they all have to be in every song. And that, that drives me a little nuts. So number three is Drip, Drip, Drip. And I know uh, Matt got a nice kick out of making sure I talked about this one. So, you know, fuck you. <laughs> why would you even bring it up? You're not going to tell anyone what it, why. Oh, uh, no. No, I won't. Yeah, I don't know why. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> why Why is it funny? Oh, uh, well, that's for he me. Can't, he can't know. tell you why. No. So I don't know why he brought it up, actually. I don't know. But uh, so it was the first song that I, I didn't think was special at all. I didn't really like it all that much. It was the first change of style because the first two were kind of more upbeat party sounding. This one was a little bit different. It was the first one that I really thought about. They're getting political, especially the first one or two playthroughs when I didn't really pay attention too much to the lyrics of the other songs. Uh, this is the first one that really caught my attention in, in that aspect. It's a song that is about landlords and how shitty it is to be rent a renter, essentially. I guess at the time, landlords took advantage of a lot of people. A lot of people were living in shit conditions, and there was really no one to take care of them, no one to back them. Hence, drip, drip, drip. Damn. So wait, landlords used to be shitty to their tenants? It's about okay. slumlords. I, I mean, I guess they still are. Oh, slumlords, yes. It's, it's about slumlords. It's, it's about how they took advantage of people who didn't have any other choices but to stay with them and, and how the tenants could know that maybe their landlord was up to something, like he was a criminal or, or he was doing criminal things uh, in the building, but they had no options but to keep paying rent. And if they didn't, they would get kicked out, obviously. Or as I mentioned in the intro, Chumbawamba lived in, they squatted, basically. They, they lived in very impoverished areas. Uh, abandoned buildings and and so on. So I am positive that they have lived in slums before. Probably realized that you know some of their l landlords were living a much more lavish lifestyle than they were allowing their tenants to. It kind of backs you against a corner a little bit. It's a super complex issue, and I actually love this song. I think it's great to approach something like that, and it's it's from the perspective it seems of the landlord. He says, what you get is what you see. It's trickle-down theory, and it's coming to me. Life's a whip round, and I got the whip. It's a sinking ship, drip, drip, drip. I think this song is dripping with meaning. Obviously, the reference to trickle-down economics popularized by Reagan, but as this is being told from the perspective of a corrupt landlord, a whip round usually refers to people collecting money for a gift or kindness or some sort of service. And as Reagan was more for charity over welfare programs, it's kind of a play on that being an actual whip and the landlord taking advantage of policies to continue holding it and power over his tenants. This is one of those songs that has just so much wordplay, even the stuff that I don't quite get. Like there's a line that says, uh, kiss an old flame, shame, shame, shame. And it kind of comes out of nowhere likely means something and i just don't have the knowledge to get there to what it means i i don't know i like the way that he delivers the lines i like the music i thought it was a pretty cool song probably the best of the first three to me the best of the singles i guess in my opinion 
Yeah, I wrote down, this is my true to your heart. Because <laughs> that chorus, I love that. Take me in. This is the one time that I like the trumpets, I think. Yeah. The but trumpet, man. I don't know, man. The trumpets added something to the album. Without them, it, it would sound a lot well, different. Yeah, I don't know. It was a little there overkill. Every single time. Yeah, every time they wrote a part for the trumpets. It is the one thing that kind of gives this band a sound. Uh, it's, it, this is why you don't live with everyone, so you can make up songs without the trumpet guys a couple days a week. But when they're always there, they're like, oh, I can write some for that. You got a trumpet part? Yeah, that's all I do. I don't know, man. They seem to have so, be so in tune with each other, too. I don't know. It seems like they were like, oh, I'm going to do this like deep house track, and then they're like, oh, well, I'll add some trumpets over that. Oh, yeah, man. Their, <laughs> their influences are all over the fucking place. I don't know. It it doesn't get stale. It's not like Huba Stank where it's the same fucking song uh, stretched across like 12 tracks. This is almost like 12 different CDs. Yeah, no, I mean, it's very well produced and it's interesting. It's, you know, there's a lot more to look at or listen to than 98 Degrees for sure or most of anything that came before it. But they didn't buy their lyrics or their music. That's true. I think part of it's that it's just kind of dated as well at this point. I don't know. Kyle said that too. I don't know if I agree with David. I don't know. I can understand what you're saying, but I don't know if I agree with it. Maybe not necessarily this song, but some of it could be dated. Obviously, there's probably still slumlords around and people taking advantage. Yeah, well, I mean, you can you can stretch it out. It doesn't have to be anyone involving a tenant. It can just be anyone really in power over impoverished people. It can be the mayor of an impoverished city. You can definitely shoehorn really anything oh, yeah. on a large scale into the, the the idea, at least. Yeah. These first three songs, I definitely remember. Yeah, I remember liking Drip, 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 Yeah, for sure. Now, yeah. I remember my favorite song still being number five, and that's what my favorite song is still. Speaking of favorite songs, I think, uh, I think we're going into one of your favorite songs, right, Roy? No, I just said the last one was my... Well, this Pretty one hard. was the one you were super excited this about. This one I have a love-hate relationship with. This one feels <laughs> the most schizophrenic to me. It's called The Big Issue. And apparently Number it's about four. homelessness and how difficult living under a bridge is. But the music is just so all over the place. It starts out, and I know I told you guys to try and listen to this. It starts out like almost, it doesn't sound exactly like the start to the Talking Head song Road to Nowhere. But if you play them together... They sound very similar, and it ends with like a horn intro into the real song at almost the exact same time. Did you guys listen to <laughs> yeah. it? That's the weird thing of this album. There was a lot of intros and outros to every single song. There'd be like a clip of something, or there'd be a sample of something, or there'd be them playing a whole different song. And then it would lead into another song. Mostly it was outros, I feel like, right? This one had an intro and an outro. Yeah. <laughs> it was weird. I think I wrote down at one point, does Chumbawamba know that you don't have to put an intro or an outro in, in, in all of your songs? I definitely heard the similarities. Did you get that on your own or did you read that yeah. somewhere? Or No. I was just listening to it and I was it like, just what the hell does it sound like? What yeah. does it sound like? And then when I played them together, they were like each 40 seconds long. From then, to me, it kind of sounded like how bizarre. <laughs> how Just because it was like, how she was bizarre. born into the wrong time. She keeps nonsense on her mind. She's a poet. She's a builder. She's as bored as she can be. How bizarre. How bizarre. Who did how bizarre? 
uh, or is it's it called like OMC or something <laughs> like that. I had to look it up because I was, this this song was driving me so crazy that it led me like down five different rabbit holes of songs. To look <laughs> well, was Habba's off before this one or after? Probably before it. This was yeah. what, 97? 97, yeah. But either way, I liked it. I hated it. I mean, if you want to go into your like the ideals of the song, the political stance, big issue is kind of a play on words because uh, the big issue is like a magazine or like a newspaper that they distribute to homeless people that they're able to sell to make I money didn't know for that. themselves and have like kind of a job without having to give up their lifestyle or like you know that's interesting i i saw a mention of the big issue as if it was a magazine or a paper but i didn't actually look into it if you want to hear the cd notes from the uk version of the cd booklet it said of this song it's plain mathematics for the rich to get richer some of us have to stay poor but in i'm all right jack england reason is in short supply Everything is blamed on the individual. You lost your job, lazy bastard. You lost your home, you inadequate bastard. Blaming homelessness on the homeless is as stupid as blaming poverty on the poor. So, yeah, I mean, you were right down the alley. It, it's definitely in the same vein. I did like there was a part where uh, it's this part here. This is the girl who lost the house witch, paid to the man who put up the rent and threw out the girl to feather his own sweet home, which was kind of like a, a play on this is the home that Jack built, the rhyme, kind of relying on disparity between the house that Jack built and the house that the girl paid rent for. I thought it was uh, kind of funny. kind of Well, not funny, but clever, I guess. The last line of the song, here's the good Samaritan, looks away and carries on. Hit home, because, I mean, I'm sure we've all done that, where we've walked past someone who's in need and had to walk on because there's a lot of times nothing you can do or there's just nothing you have on you at the moment to help. And yeah. I, it does make me wonder and think about how they get there, you know, what processes overcame their life to put them in that position. Yeah, we have a homeless guy that lives outside of our work in the woods. He actually chose to be homeless. He was a Vietnam veteran, and he has been homeless for... I want to say 25 years and you just, yeah, you got to wonder like what drives somebody to choose that. And he, he seems happy. Like there's nothing wrong with him. He pretty much self-reliant. He, you see him riding his bike all the time, but yeah, I mean, he chose to, to be homeless and, and obviously many people don't choose that and many people wouldn't choose that, but it still kind of shows the complexities of human beings. But yeah, interesting song. Yeah, not exactly unique, like Rory pointed out with how bizarre, but and it's not a new idea. Obviously, uh, many songs have written about poverty or homelessness or you know unfair living conditions, but it was an alright song though. But very few of them end with a salon style piano and like a little girl singing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, was this the one that ends? Is there like a someone speaking backwards in this no. one? Or? No, that's no, later. No, no, that's later. No. This one's the one that ends with like, thank you for all the something, something Oh, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Man, what? what? <laughs> I wish I had more time to look into the intros and outros and try and figure out if they were sampling movies or what. Because, yeah, they, they have a fuck ton of them. It's, it's, I think every song has an outro and it gets really annoying. This is why you don't live with everyone. 
when you're doing the whole thing. Everyone's got an opinion. They got to put in something. They got a movie quote. You think this is what's happening on Jared Leto's Cult Island? (laughs) Yeah, that's the thing about listening to an album with so many outros is you'll be listening to it for like the third or fourth time and you're like, man, I don't remember this song. And then you're like, oh, oh, that was a fucking outro. That's why. it doesn't mean yeah. shit for the song. Yeah. You just so instantly forget it. So number five, this is the good ship lifestyle. Yeah. I, I love this song, man. This Ugh. is such a good one. It's it's so good, dude. Super catchy and, and much more morose sounding than the previous songs. I really like the music that I guess borrows from like electronic influences and ends up blending into one of the heavier choruses. It seems to be about a captain on a a most likely metaphorical ship that is used to being alone. And as the song pushes on, he becomes more and more distrusting. And and it seems to me like he's becoming more and more power hungry. Uh, He even refers to his one man ship as uh, his little empire while flying his own flag like and at the very beginning he says something like something about where are your friends Uh, it's up in the crow's nest over there i see land first mate there is no first mate (laughs) this is a good ship lifestyle (laughs) yeah but i think he also says something like uh where are your friends there are no friends or something like that does he say something like that says all my friends jump where's the crew that's right that's right he said all my friends jump ship yeah so what i felt like this song was about was maybe a commentary on living for material possessions instead of other people does that make sense like he has a ship which is a pretty lavish uh, object that not many people can afford not many people have but he has nobody to man it but himself because all of his crew left him that to me kind of felt like it was speaking on him valuing material possessions over friendship over relationships basically i i love it it's fucking it's a great song man <laughs> uh, it feels like ebenezer scrooge scrooge's anthem pre ghosts when the fucking guitars come in man it's fucking awesome <laughs> no <laughs> when, when oh, the guitars that... come in and the ladies start saying like so sell a course a course to nowhere no oh it's probably that's uh it's so good dude (laughs) i didn't think about it you talked about it earlier about uh kind of the beginnings of a straight edge culture that they were kind of living a little bit this whole good ship lifestyle that he's thinking about could could be something like that like you know he's approaching life by himself because no one else is following it it could i guess yeah when you say it like that it could be kind of him rejecting um society and and going his own course i could see that being like he has his own set of whatever he wants to live by morals or yeah his own compass yeah everyone's left him because you know he's he's too dead set on it yeah that's not a bad interpretation i i could see either of ours being true i found their notes online from their booklet and i found a quote from the sleeve notes of the first chumbawamba single back in 1985 that they had put at the very end of their their notes for this song that says quote Revolution will be built on the spread of ideas and information, on reaching people rather than on our habit of creating ghettos within which to stagnate. It's no use standing outside shouting. We have to start kicking down the doors. That kind of, to me, lent itself more to my idea. It's emphasis on reaching people rather than the habit of creating your own ghettos within which to stagnate. I don't know. It, it, I guess it could be either of our interpretations, really. Yeah, I mean. 
I can see the idea of like someone being so like idealistic that yeah, they're the captain. Yeah, my way goes. Now everyone's I'm just the left babysitter. Me. I mean, there's yeah. plenty of movies and shows out there about a character who they're so indebted to their beliefs that it kind of drives other people away. Yeah, I like that interpretation. I just went a different way with it. Apparently, <laughs> I, I mean, what's funny? We we kind of have different interpretations, but uh, I'll agree with you. It's one of my more favorite songs on the album. No. Actually. <laughs> what about actually you, like the actual come on, music. Come, come to the dark side. I, I thought it was basic. I thought it was just about the... He was a basic bitch. <laughs> yeah, it was just about the pitfalls of accumulating wealth and winding up by yourself eating TV dinners. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I love it. I love it. It's so good, dude. <laughs> you just like that frantic beat. Yeah, dude, probably. just everything about it was just so strange and and so good it's more cohesive of the like like it, it still switches back and forth between a lot of things but at least it feel like y- you can kind of stick with it a little bit more i guess than some of them yeah so you're saying it's basic too you're saying it's a basic bitch i'm not saying it's basic i'm just saying that that <laughs> the chorus is what loses me it just like it's not bad but it's like you're watching like I put Jesus Christ Superstar, which I'm not that familiar with, but that's just what it reminds me. <laughs> it's like joyous metal or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. It's yeah. just well, I maybe that's know. why it's... I like it because it kind of harkens back to my metal days. Yeah. Well, if you're into that kind of thing, and Kyle, Kyle has metal <laughs> days too. He, Kyle's currently I still living do in metal days. Metal. What are you talking about? <laughs> it reminded me of something that maybe like a, a Flogging Molly or Dropkick Murphys. Oh, don't could fucking have, do that, dude. Could have gotten influenced by like I don't know, just the the pirate theme. Like I know they have some piratey <laughs> music as well, and I like Flogging Molly and Dropkick Murphys. Anytime that I'm enjoying this band, don't fucking relate it to some punk band. I fucking hate punk. God damn it. These are punks. I know. Yeah. Art punks. I think what I liked about this was just, uh, about this album as a whole, was that whether you agree with them or not, they put a lot of thought into most of their lyrics. They really did. And even though you hate the trumpet, Rory, they are pretty good at playing the music as well. They're not bad musicians. The singing is, you know, whatever. But the lyrics, the music, it at least has some element of them being really fucking good at at what they do. You're again starting to sound like uh, Grant talking about Dave Matthews Band, but... uh... Well, and, you know, after after fucking Good Charlotte, after Hooba Stank, after, well, after 98 Degrees, buying their music, it's just nice to review a band that was wholly original. I mean, I guess we did Limp Biscuit, and that was maybe a little too original. I'll stop, uh, I'll stop doting on them, I guess, <laughs> going forward. Well, if you guys thought anything about that last song reminded you of Jesus Christ Superstar, it's time for you to put on your church shoes, cue the organ, and strike up the choir, because we're going to church. <laughs> <laughs> the next song, One by One. Number six. Number six. I could not find too much about in the world, but just a quick read through of the lyrics and listening to the song gives you a pretty good idea of what we're talking about. Pontius Pilate came to our town up to the dockyards to see the picket line. So we're talking about striking and Pontius Pilate is an interesting reference, clearly putting us in a biblical frame here. And then the song goes on to talk about he's the leader of the union now. We asked him to help and he just turned around. Now he's the leader of the union. So you've kind of got the false prophet thing going on. Someone shows up to commandeer a movement and then runs it into the ground. Probably someone working from within to subvert the protest itself. Prior to getting into a very different sound, it is a churchian type organ 
Churchian. <laughs> Churchian, yeah. Organ slash choir, which is pretty good. It sounds good. It actually reminds me a lot. There was a, I think it was Monty Python's Meaning of Life. There's a scene where they do a song in church. It's like a boys' school. And they're talking about all the horrible creatures that God created, like wasps and sharks and all the awful things. And just the tone of this song made me think of that. But then it transitions into a much more EDM <laughs> house house music style after that. And that's where I started kind of losing this album myself, because I didn't know where they were going anymore as far as their musical style choices go. <laughs> and that's always important to me. I, I, I know you're more into the lyrics, and I think actually you've pointed out, and I agree with so far, say what you will about their music as in terms of how it sounds, they do have very well thought out and meaningful lyrics. I don't see a lot of nonsense in this. We listen, we've listen. we listened to other albums where it was like, what are they talking about? Or is there a point to this other than, girl, you look fine? This is all <laughs> about having a point and sending a message, which I do appreciate. You brought up the Churchian music, and, and it is very gospel sounding in the beginning, especially when they're talking about Pontius Pilate came, coming to their town. I'll say that I was able to find at least a little more information. This song seems to be about the betrayal that many dockers felt by politicians supposedly on their side turning on them and being promoted because of it. In particular, there was a man named Bill Morris that was a general secretary of transport and the workers union from 92 to 2003. He ended up refusing to support his fellow dockers in 95. And later on in his career, he was eventually elevated to the House of Lords as Baron Morris of Handsworth in 2006. So that goes into your Pontius Pilate came to our town up to the dockyards to see the picket line. We asked him to help, but he just turned around. He's the leader of the union now. And then they go on to say, leader of the union, all of our questions he ignored. He washed his hands and he dreamt of his reward, a seat in the House of Lords, which obviously Baron Morris was given a seat in the House of Lords after betraying his dockers, using them to gain a foothold to eventually screw them over and get moved up the ladder. The line, this conspiracy of shame, murder by some other name, play up and play the game, whose side are you on? If any ask us why we died, we tell them that our leaders lied, sold us out down the riverside, whose side are you on? So again, we're going back to Union strikes and basically the working class getting screwed over by the politicians that they trust. But yeah, there are a lot of references to the Bible. I can't remember. He he references Jesus at one point. Oh, oh, they say something like he was denied three times, which um, is a reference to Jesus. Yeah. Anyways, I, that's what I read this was about. And it actually started making sense after I saw that. The music, you know, obviously it starts out as kind of a gospel choir and then it goes into something else completely. I don't think I'd even like this song if it weren't for how meaningful the lyrics are. So I can't blame you for thinking this was a little off the deep end musically. Yeah, I try not to let that be the only thing I'm listening to for any music, but I do expect some level of congruity and uh, ear catchiness, which this one started out kind of interesting, but it didn't stay that way. Just so boring. So boring. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> He's the leader of the union. <laughs> so what what was Dockers doing? They were using like sweatshop labor or something? <laughs> well, they were just they were shortening the length of the pants just enough to save on uh, on fabric costs and it was pissing everybody off. I got nothing really for this one. 
we'll go move on to song number seven, Outsider, which is probably the most repetitive, simplest song on the album. It again starts with another intro into the song and then goes straight into another techno influence sounding song. And this is one of the only times on the album where I actually like how the horns or trumpet are incorporated into it. Uh. <laughs> it felt like a filler song. I know that to them it probably meant something. Yeah, it was what, like three line. There was them repeating outsider a, a dozen, Outsane. you know, dozens of times. There was you're not alone. And then there was uh, there are millions think just like me. That was the song. That's it. Just about every album we've talked about. I've always said that there's some kind of anthem type song on them. Yeah. And this one was that. Yeah. This one is definitely that one because, you know, again, simple. Just trying to tell people, you know, they're not alone because they say it. Over and over. It's kind of catchy, and, and yeah, it, it definitely has like a sense of brotherhood to it. Yeah. But yeah, it's, there's not really much to talk about here, and I'm actually cool moving forward if you guys are. It's just wild that I can hear the trumpet for every song in my head. <laughs> and they're all so similar, but they're all so distinct, too. Isn't that just tr- trumpet in general? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Number eight, we have the track Creepy Crawling, which starts off with like a surfer rock intro and then i just quickly lost interest it kind of feels like someone's just kind of yelling at you feels like the party's gone on a little too long and (laughs) it's a lot it's again like oh everyone's bad to each other i I thought it had kind of a funky riff to it like it it kind of felt a little funky in the beginning something happened at one by one I, i didn't even say i loved good ship lifestyle but that was still okay but like something happened at one by one that there's just a turn from this well, point we, on, we've talked about in other episodes about halfway through a lot of albums, you start getting into the the skippable songs, the ones you don't want to waste your time on when you're going through a, a listen with yeah. worse bands. Creepy Crawling, I didn't really know what it was about until I read the lyrics, like many of the songs, really. But it seems, interestingly enough, to be about impoverished people stealing from impoverished people. Kind of like the lowest of the low are the people that steal from their fellow communities. There was a line, how can stealing candy from a baby seem all right? It just seems to be specifically, very specifically, about criminals that break in and steal things from people in the slums or people in the projects or poorer neighborhoods or something like that and how much that probably disgusts Chumbawamba in particular but you know obviously it disgusts us all but it's such a specific hatred not towards just thieves but thieves of you know impoverished people that's it like if they had if they went like three neighborhoods over Chumbawamba would probably be all right with them (laughs) you know I hate it when you get too much drink in your tum 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 what (laughs) is that a lyric yeah it's one of the lyrics uh he says mix with bloody feathers from scruff of nick of crow johnny go johnny gone too much drink in your tum 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 see this finger see this thumb see this fist and watch it come (laughs) yeah like i said it's like you're if the party's gone on too long you're talking to this person that you don't know what they're even saying you just wanted to end. So you're, you're they went from sounding schizophrenic to in your head kind of being schizophrenic. <laughs> I just like drunk. They went yeah, from schizophrenic to drunk. drunk rambling. You weren't looking forward to this song at all. No, I hate the song. It didn't stick out for me until maybe the 6th or 7th listen and then I didn't hate it. In fact, 
that, you know, it was about four to four to seven listens before I really started actually kind of enjoying the album. I don't know, maybe listen to it a few more times. Then maybe I was two or three listens too light. Yeah. <laughs> I gave this album the honor of listening to it on the holiest of holidays, 420, and I gave it the best possible chance that I could to enjoy it, and I still have many an issue, many an issue, and was confused many a time. Well, <laughs> I don't think 420 helped you in your confusion, to be fair. No, it didn't. <laughs> All right, so number nine, Mary, Mary. This was probably the song that I disliked the most. I at least disliked the sound the most. Um, of all the songs on the album. It has some decent music, but it's just something about the delivery I'm not a huge fan of. Now, this is probably the one that was on the soundtrack, and I'm pretty sure the movie was Stigmata, right, Kyle? That is correct. I wrote specifically, I know Kyle liked that movie. So yeah, I had a feeling you'd, you'd defend this song. It seems to be, and, and it's kind of funny, because... Ultimately, it's not really a song I would consider you enjoying lyrically. Not not that you're not a feminist or anything, but it just <laughs> it's an odd choice for you lyrically, I would say. <laughs> it seems to be like simply just about a woman that does whatever the fuck she wants and enjoys the freedoms that being a woman in the modern world allows her. It kind of humorously seems to be a, a big fuck you to the nursery rhyme, Mary, Mary, quite contrary. At one point, that rhyme goes, Mary, Mary, quite contrary, how does your garden grow with silver bells and cockle shells and pretty maids all in a row? And this song is like, no, fuck that. Mary doesn't give a shit about silver bells and cockle shells and pretty maids. She's a modern woman. She wants to take risks and get tattoos on her face and have sex with whoever she wants to have. There's a chorus that says like, Mary, Mary, or... Where did you go, Mary? Something like that. There's whatever happened to Mary. <laughs> whatever happened to Mary. There you whatever go. Whatever <laughs> happened to Mary. Yeah. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. <laughs> it also brings up the Hell Mary full of grace prayer in kind of the same manner in the lyric. Hell Mary full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. Jesus, Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for sinners now at the hour of our death. Amen. Directly after this line, she says, I'll spit on the floors and do more drugs, burn every bill, get drunk on love, wear next to nothing in the pouring rain, be a bad example, and I'll do it again. <laughs> it's just it's just hilarious. What do you think about it? <laughs> I, I love when Matt quotes lyrics and gives it attitude. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so funny, man, to put the Hail Mary full of grace prayer and then have such a like, oh, fuck that shit. I'm done with it. And I'm going to do it again. I just, I love that. I love I'll spit on the floor and do more drugs. Yeah. <laughs> I never really thought about it as like a feminist song. I thought it more always as like a fuck you to essentially the Catholic church. Yeah. It could be that too. Yeah. Which, I mean, because that, I mean, she sing, says the Hail Mary at the beginning. She says it at the end. She talks she about Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, she says it in the middle, and then she says it backwards at the end. Yeah, she says oh, it backwards. Oh, really? That's what she's saying backwards? Yeah. Yes. So, I mean, if you even look at the lyrics, a lot of it's basically just saying, screw you to the church. You're going to, you know, this this woman's going to do whatever she wants. She's going to drink. She's going to have sex. Yeah, um, but you that's know? feminist uh, when you think about it. I the mean, church, it, it, it is. And she's saying that I'm a woman in the modern world. I can do whatever the fuck I want, and fuck you guys if you think otherwise. 
And, you know, obviously the Catholic Church was <laughs> definitely, uh, to be nice, complacent and the uh, the silence of women and oh, yeah. the demonization of women throughout history. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it can be both. Obviously, all their songs are political. There's no reason why this one shouldn't be against the, the church. And you're, you're correct. Uh, what would have been the ultimate prank would be if this was the song that got them popular and the, <laughs> she could stand on the same stage as uh, Sinead O'Connor did a few years earlier than this and, uh, and sing this song and get away with it. That would have been perfect. What's funny is I had completely forgot that they had sung the song. So that first playthrough, I'm listening, I'm going along, not really enjoying anything. And then the song pops up and I'm like, oh shit, that's right. I, I'd completely forgot that this was on the Stigmata soundtrack. It was in the movie. And you liked so, it? I, I did. Ugh. It's interesting. I, I would have never thought they'd have a song on Stigmata, but if there was ever a song to be on Stigmata, it would know, be after reading one. the lyrics of this, yeah. Or Spirit in the Sky. Yeah. I mean, it, it, fits, it fits the movie Stigmata, I mean, almost to a T, at least the character in it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a good song. I don't, I don't like it musically, but it's, it's pretty in your face. The music, probably, you know, it's the hardest song on the album more rock darker or whatever so it's more up my alley number 10 is a song called small town it is one of the shorter ones on the album it's pretty straightforward it talks about the pratfalls of living in a small town it talks about cafes full of people dressed as spies uh and i think that's a pretty fitting description if you live in a small town everybody knows everybody but that makes it pretty impossible to live anonymously because everything you do is under scrutiny and even if they're not doing it on purpose, they'll see you do something or hear you say something, and then it, it will make like it to yeah. Bad gas travels fast in a small That's town. That's interesting. The, saying goes. the music is interesting. It reminded me really strongly, so much so, of a song that was on, or it sounded like songs that were on a video game I played a long time ago on the PlayStation One called Sled Storm, which also featured a song by Rob Zombie, Dragula, which I'm sure you guys all know. Leave it to Grant to fucking bring up a video game, the one video game he's probably played in like 40 years, and <laughs> it'd be one that me and Kyle don't fucking know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was the name of it? It was called Sled Storm, and it was just a racing game with snow uh, mobiles versus instead of like. Did you have to type words to move them? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. You did get to listen to Dragula by Rob Zombie and a songs songs that sounded like this one. So I was convinced that this was on that uh, soundtrack. <laughs> but I went and did some digging about that video. That game, would have been and a it was big not coincidence there. for it to have been on the only game you've ever played in your life, probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, Halo. He can't hear you. <laughs> the song itself the music is very video game menu sounding if nothing else and didn't really hold a lot of interest as far as the way it sounds i did think the lyrics were interesting and it's probably pretty common for most people living in small towns i never lived in a small town it was a large town small city probably the best description but it still felt true especially in local community that i lived in you're kind of trying to get out or wanting to get out sometimes because you feel like you're kind of trapped one of the lyrics was, every morning comes too soon, all your nights are sleepless, poison arrows to ruin your tomorrows. Yeah, I really liked that line, poison arrows to ruin your tomorrows. That was a, I liked that line. Yeah, it wasn't super interesting. I guess if it, uh, you're from a small town, I could see where you'd relate to it. But the music was boring enough that I didn't care to really give it that much thought. So The music was weird, it man. It. Yeah, it, it just kind of was soft and drum machine-y. I'm going to reference a video game that none of you guys 
will understand, but maybe somebody out there will. It kind of sounds like it's music from the game Persona 5. It's like got this kind of like uh, electronic elevator music background, <laughs> like a, a, a heavier elevator music. And uh, it's it's pretty interesting. It It stands out musically from the rest of the album. I don't enjoy the song as a whole. The music is strange and different. I can see the video game aspects of it. Um, it kind of reminds me of like, I'm, I'm going to say a spa music, which doesn't fit, but kind of like something you might hear in a, uh, like the reception area of a spa. Um, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this. These Manhattans have caught up with me. <laughs> <laughs> How many of you drank? Uh, two. <laughs> oh, they must be pretty strong. That's four. That's four shots of whiskey, and then four the vermouth. Kyle's slurring his speech. It's four. It's four shots of whiskey and vermouth. Uh, two shots of vermouth, which is also alcoholic. So, god damn. This is why, like, towards the end of every episode, when I'm editing, I'm like, Kyle just kind of drops off. <laughs> Where's Kyle at? Oh, I got. Get I got beer in my closet. <laughs> yeah, but beer, beer's gonna take you a while to to fill a little buzz. I mean, Kyle's fucking drinking eight shots over there. <laughs> <laughs> Manhattan's are no joke. They're good stuff, though. Are they as strong as Long Island iced teas? I, I am uh, not a drinker. I only drink Long Island iced teas. And if you make a Long Island iced tea the right way, no, no, they're not as strong as those. No, okay. yeah, a Long Island iced tea has like four different. Liquors That's why I like it. I only have to drink like t- like two drinks, and I can I can feel pretty good. If I'm yeah, gonna it, drink, and I, it's not often, but if I'm going to, for you, you that's all you need to drink is two Long Islands, and you're good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that night, that night, uh, that fucking Taco Mac. That was pretty. Don't pretty forget good. the night at um, <laughs> oh, Top Golf where you were. Oh yeah, dude! I drank like away. three or four of those fucking things at <laughs> Top Golf. <laughs> Stay away from the edge. Yeah, man. Fucking Long Island iced teas. I will. I will drink. But that's do, about do, the only do, thing do, I'll drink. Do, do you remember amazing. the night that we went to? Uh, what is it? The Rose and the Crown. It's uh oh it's ro- near near the condo. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Yeah, I do now. <laughs> but I remember I kept trying to get you to drink all goddamn night long, and you would not do it. Did I drink? Did I drink finally? I mean, you I, you drank a little. You had like you bought. You got one drink. But oh you, yeah, you probably just it. to shut you up. Yeah, probably. Okay, well, let's move. On. <laughs> Anyways, do I need to get a drink to shut you up now and move on to the next song? Yeah, sure, go ahead. <laughs> Grab a whiskey drink, maybe a lager drink or a cider drink, vodka drink. Nope, number eleven is called "I Want More." It's another uh, upbeat song. It's a little bit more repetitive. Basically, it's it's greed. It's about greed. <laughs> about people who wanted. Who just want more. They just want more stuff, more money, more things. You know, while Chumbawamba was living this poor lifestyle. lifestyle. Yeah, minimalist <laughs> lifestyle. That's a good good way to put it. I think it's just their way of sticking it to the man yet again. It also kind of sounds like a video game, like an old pixelated like rock video game, like uh, Mega Man <laughs> or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the music sounds uh, very like video game electronica. 
I feel like it's someone wants to sell a Jeep. Wait, what? <laughs> like the soundtrack to like a Jeep, like a Jeep, <laughs> like a car dealership. Like, I want more. I want more. <laughs> you mean like the chorus? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, yeah. The chorus. That's yeah. Funny. It sounds like it could be like, I don't know. Maybe this it's is the got... one Nike tried to buy from him. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I like the line, they'll kick your face in so politely. Which is funny in the context of this song, but it's also funny just as a good description of the way people are in the Deep South. <laughs> it's kind of a, oh, bless your little heart, I'm about to just destroy you. <laughs> you know, we all grew up in the in the South. We're at, most of us, Georgia, Grant, unfortunately, Alabama, um, or Kentucky. Um, when... When people say, bless your heart, is that fuck you? Because somebody made that claim a few years ago, and I was like, no, that doesn't mean fuck you. Yes. I think it's a use-all word. I think it can be nice, but I think it can also be a very people use it as a fuck you. aggressive way. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I think it's a very uh, nice way of, of, of saying fuck you. See, I around my family, I always hear it as a, like, you know, because my, my stepmom, she uses it, and it's. I feel like it's more literal with her. I, I know it definitely isn't a fuck that person when she says it. Just say, well, fuck you too next time she says it. To you. <laughs> I don't think it's See universally bad. I just think it can be used that way. Yeah, I mean, it's all in context on how she uses it, but I think to the outsiders, I'll say. Well, she says it about my son sometimes, so hopefully um, it's not a <laughs> fuck your two-year-old. Well, I mean, my, I mean, my grandmother has said it you know, to me and my son as well. And I, I didn't take it like that. But if you just, you know, bless your heart, I think it's supposed to be kind of like a, a backhanded way of, of... You know what is going to happen now? Every time she says it, I'm going to think, she, you know, think of if she was saying it as a fuck that person and it'll probably make me chuckle every time it happens. Does anyone want more of this song? Nope. <laughs> I wanted more of this I whole don't. album. You know. Did you? No, no, I did not. Well, I thought maybe I had talked you into enjoying the album. Matt's really sticking to taking things literally. <laughs> so this one, but we can all agree it's about Oliver Twist. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was Oliver and Company. <laughs> all right. So the final, number 12, Scapegoat. I really didn't like this song that much. It's just another one where they just got really super repetitive and it just kind of ends with a whimper. I don't have a whole lot to say about it, really. It made me realize the female singer, Lou, she can't really sing all that well. No, she's got a very particular shtick, and, and she doesn't yeah. go outside of it too much. Like, some, some of the songs, like Mary Mary, I, I enjoyed, but I don't know, this kind of singing, I, I realized, no, it's, it doesn't suit her. It's not good. Isn't one of the things about punk that you don't have to really be good singing, good at singing? It's more about how you sing it. Kind of. I mean, maybe, but typically with those, with what you're talking about, they're harder, faster, louder type of punk bands. So you yeah, it's don't not really house have to tracks and trumpets. <laughs> yeah, it's not. yeah. <laughs> it's it's more just like she's speaking melodically more than she's singing. I think the final three songs of this album all lean heavier into the electronic, and I think they suffer from it. First of all, I can't really tell you how any of those uh, any of those three sound like they don't stick out to me 
I don't really recall any of them. I had to listen to short clips while you guys were talking about them to even remember what in the hell they were. This one sounds like another video game song, like like a Mortal Kombat song or something. Like it's really fast and and really like electronic. Have you seen Run Lola Run? No, I haven't seen it. I I know of it, but I haven't oh. seen it. Well, I it, I mean it's like a, a movie that's based on like video game theory, but it's German. Mm-hmm. So they're like really into this kind of like Euro. It's it, Fa- I don't know. like a fast paced, uh, like trance kind of thing. I don't know what it's called. Yeah, yeah. I, I I've I've seen it, so I know what you're talking about. But yeah, can't really. That's what it, it sounds reminds like. Me an, of so much, just like like Mirror's Edge. Like think of Mirror's Edge, but an actual good European movie. But no, I mean, overall, this is the first one I can say I, I pretty much agree wholeheartedly with you, Rory. I didn't like the big issue like you did. I was intrigued by the big issue. <laughs> <laughs> this one goes out uh with a whimper you're you're totally right about this one like all three of the final songs in this were just they shouldn't have been there the the album itself i didn't even cover this up front the album itself is 55 minutes long so if you take those final three songs out you're still left with over 45 minutes of well no um you're left with 40 over 40 minutes, minutes. and yeah. you and know that's long for a showed punk us album yeah, and Hoobastank showed us that you can go as low as like 37 minutes and it can feel like a fucking lifetime getting through it. So yeah, I just don't know why the last three songs are on there. It should have ended with Mary Mary or actually replace Mary Mary with Good Ship Lifestyle and just go out on a high note. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I thought the last few like songs... Hidden track. I would say that this song is a good way to segue into my general thoughts on the album overall, which <clears throat> it was a, a bit of a whimper. Like you said, the last three songs could have not been there and it wouldn't have made the album worse probably would have improved it a lot and i think these song choices and the way they sound is what gave me that sense at the beginning that it's kind of schizophrenic the album doesn't follow the same theme musically throughout the entire thing it certainly does politically or message wise it stays on brand that way but i would uh i would skip these last three every time if i was a regular listener of this album yeah i would agree with that Kyle, what did you think of the album overall? Overall, it was, it's nothing that I'll ever listen to again, I don't think. Pretty on point with everything that we've gone through. Yeah, Grant was, I mean, what Grant said was is true. They were, they stayed true to themselves lyrically, um, which I guess I'll give them that. But again, it's now 2020 and we're in America. So it may not resonate as, as, as good as it would have, you know, in the 90s when it came out. Some of the songs were were decent. Most of them were not. I mean, it's, it, it's okay, but uh, like I said, I, I I don't ever plan on listening to it again. I'm happy to not really think about this band or look into them too much more. It was nice to have a band that had stuff to really listen to and uh, where they were making real choices and trying to like say something, I guess. A lot of that stuff kind of fell flat and felt kind of, I don't know, just like bland and generic. But it was still interesting. Not sure I loved it, but... And I think there were, like, almost too many stylistic choices to the point where I... Like, some of these songs, I don't remember all of it because, again, it would start with, like, a quote and with, like, an outro track and just be literally all of the place. Long-term memory loss. Yeah, exactly. I don't remember. (laughs) But, I mean, you know, it was interesting, at least. I'll give it that. It was interesting. But I can't imagine being my like being a fan of this because it's just too like frantic and all over the place. And yeah, how do you go to this concert? I fell on the opposite end. I, I'm not going to listen to them probably ever again. But 
I thought this was a very nice change of pace after the anger that I felt uh, in watching Suicide Squad and discussing Suicide Squad two weeks ago. That was real pain, and Chumbawamba is one of the most genuine bands that we've covered so far, to me. They're up there with Hanson in that these guys went for 30 years, and I assume they didn't really change much on their stances between 97 and 2012. Yeah, it it was nice to see a band that A, knew how to write lyrics, uh, B, knew how to be subtle about some of their lyrics. They know what a metaphor is. They know what's important to them. And they're fucking pissed off about it, too. And they do all of that so well. They do what good Charlotte couldn't do in writing about stuff that actually matters. They did what Limp Biscuit did without being whiny little bitches and, and being angry throughout pretty much all their songs about the stuff that they were interested in. And they did what Hoobastank couldn't even come close to doing uh, by making just about every song unique to almost to a, flaw, uh, a fault. I'll agree with you guys on that. But I don't know. If you're a lyrics person, Chumbawamba really isn't the worst that you can get. Um, and it might be up there in the better ones, at least of the ones we've covered uh, if you're a music person, I can maybe understand Grant's uh, stance a little bit more. I think the music's more interesting than some of the lyrics, but I mean the music's but it's very produced. It's super produced. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't say it's overproduced though. No, it's pretty auto-tuned at least. So it's he's right. It's a, it's very clearly produced. It's it's definitely more produced than you know what you would think they w- would do uh, come from their background. I mean, it's eight albums into their career, and it's the first one produced by fucking EMI. So it's obviously going to be a little little better produced, but I still wouldn't say it's overproduced whatsoever. Yeah, I but... Could, they, I could see that for Limp Biscuit though. Yeah, but they sold out, so... Well, no, I I think I've proven the goddamn... Con- <laughs> the, the theory, Kyle, throughout this whole episode. I know. I mean, they're not living in shacks anymore, though. I don't know where they're living. (laughs) I mean, one of them's a TV writer now. Oh, yeah? So she's, yeah, she's making some money. Yeah. Well, I mean, every punk has to grow up and get a job, right? Or else their heroin Bob fucking dead from an overdose. (laughs) Well, on that note. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, anyways, that's Chumbawamba, number 11. We're in deep, guys. We are... We are in the double digits. There's no turning back now. Yeah. I wanted to mention something that makes it to the podcast, hopefully. But when you guys did Suicide Squad, I watched the movie, but was unable to record that night because we were panicked buying toilet paper. (laughs) But Rory said that after he came out from recording that podcast, his wife told him the NBA was canceled and the world was ending. So I'm blaming you guys for this entire (laughs) pandemic. (laughs) I'm resealing the portal tonight. Yeah. Wouldn't you blame Suicide Squad? No, you're the ones that wanted to watch it. The portal's getting resealed tonight. (laughs) <laughs> apparently my stimulus check is in the mail tomorrow camps open the state up the portal's sealed we're good once i leave once i leave uh this uh closet i'm 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 expecting nascar back on tv and, uh, <laughs> so this will nascar this will be what closes the loop i got it yeah <laughs> so if you guys want to check us out we're at bad media pod on twitter you can email us at badmediapod at gmail.com for any questions, comments, concerns, suggestions, anything that you want to tell us. Tell me to stop being drunk on podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'll, I, it's probably not going to happen, but we'll see. <laughs> oh, no. If enough people say it, we might we might can convince them. All right, so that's it for this week's episode. We will be back in two weeks, and we will be covering uh, one of Kyle's least favorite movies, I think. Uh, Freddy vs. Uh, Jason, is that correct, Kyle? I fucking hate you guys. <laughs> yeah, so Kyle's actually uh, taking the lead on, on one of his... Uh, his loves uh, a horror movie. Our first first horror movie. I guess Species was kind of Species a thriller, right? Yeah. Anyways, Freddie and Jason are near and dear to Kyle's heart, and we're gonna make him take a shit on them uh, right <laughs> in all of your ears. So it will hopefully be pretty entertaining, and I'm excited for for Kyle to take the lead. Yeah, join us back here in two weeks. See you guys next time. If you're gonna start a band with your friends, don't tell the trumpet player.